As we continually talk about different open source projects that have to do with homebrewing, a single subject keeps coming up time and time again, and that's 3D printing. And for my love of all these types of projects, and considering that we talk about them a lot on the show, I don't actually own a 3D printer, and I wanted to talk about it. So this week we have Brian Height back on the show. And he's going to talk to us about a really cool 3D printing brewing project that he has recently created and 3D printing for brewing in general. This week on Homebrewing DIY. recipes and taking good notes are two of the key fundamentals of making great beer. This is one of the first things that you learn when becoming a new brewer. I started taking notes on a sheet from my extract kit and then quickly moved to brewing software. I've tried many different types of brewing software and then I found Brewfather. This is the one piece of software that you need for recipes and very detailed brew day notes, as well as fermentation notes. Brewfather also integrates with some of the topics that we discuss on this show, like the till hydrometer, the ice spindle, and ferment track. You need no other piece of software than Brewfather. One of the best parts of Brewfather is that you can try it for free. All you need to do is head to our website, homebrewingdiy.beer, and click on the Brewfather banner to sign up for free today. Once again, that's homebrewingdiy.beer, and sign up for Brewfather today. Keeping a clean brewery is the key to making great beer that doesn't get contaminated. Do you use a glass or plastic carboy for your fermentation? Did you know that getting your carboy clean can be tough, especially removing the cruisin ring? Even with traditional carboy cleaning tools, it can take a lot of time and not get your carboy completely clean. Well, today there's a new tool that can easily clean your carboy and do it fast, and that tool is called a scrubber ducky. Scrubber duckies are a new magnetic carboy cleaner that are easy to use and get the cleaning results required in brewing. Drop a magnetic scrubber into your carboy and be able to scrub away all of the grime in that hard-to-clean cruising. They are no match for Scrubber Duckies, and you can get yours today at ScrubberDuckies.com. Once again, head over to ScrubberDuckies.com. Welcome back to Homebrewing DIY, the podcast that takes on the do-it-yourself aspect of homebrewing. Gadgets, contraptions, and parts, this show covers it all. On this week's show, we're going to talk to Brian Hyde about 3D printing and homebrewing. We're going to talk about a really cool project that he's done, and we're also going to discuss 3D printing in general. I'm excited about this. I don't personally own a 3D printer, but after talking to Brian, I may be looking into one for my brewery. But first, I'd like to thank all of our patrons over at Patreon.com. 
head on over to patreon.com forward slash homebrewingdiy and you can give monthly and help support this show. It's because of our supporters that this show comes to you week after week. And I'd like to thank all of our supporters for all of your generous contributions. Another way to support the show is you can go to coffee.com forward slash homebrewingdiy and that's ko-fi.com forward slash homebrewingdiy and there you can give a one-time support. You can buy me a beer and in doing so, that also helps support the show and I would like to thank all of the contributors from coffee as well. The last way to support the show is to head over to our website. You can go to homebrewingdiy.beer and you can click on our sponsor banners. You can buy from Brew in a Bag. You can also do your shopping at Adventures in Homebrewing. And, of course, you can always buy Brewfather. In clicking on those links, your prices all stay the same, but it lets them know that we sent you and then in turn supports the show. So head over to homebrewingdiy.beer and support the show. You could also write us a review. If you are listening to us on Apple Podcasts, just scroll at the bottom of your podcast application and click a five-star review that helps others find the show the other way is to head over to podchaser.com and write us a review there as well i share those review on those reviews on our social media so if you would like to really help us out and give us some great information about what we could do to improve the show head over and write us a review i currently am in the process of Last week, I, I made a pseudo lager using some Kvike yeast. I used the Oslo strain. And if any of you sh- follow me on social media, you know that I've been kind of taking some pictures and showing what's going on around my brewery. I made this kind of Oktoberfest style fest beer, but using Oslo, I, I actually keg the beer on, well, I'm sorry, pitch the yeast on a sunday i then keg the beer on thursday night that's how fast i went through that entire fermentation kind of crazy to watch it go all the way from 1060 to 1014 is where we ended up finishing and it did all of that within 48 hours and did so at 85 degrees just crazy stuff the kvike but you know, that that's kind of part of that yeast, and we've been doing a lot with it lately here in homebrewing DIY land. Also, Lee Bussey sent me some some development boards. I, I'm doing a bit of a giveaway on my Instagram. We're gonna do a drawing actually tomorrow for anyone who follows us on Instagram for some of our some of his brew bubbles development boards. He also in there I was telling him that I was rebuilding my brew pie setup and he sent me a development board for the brew pie remix using the Arduino. I think I'm going to build it. It's pretty cool. The development board kind of has all the bells and whistles built right into it. He's got great documentation, probably some of the best documentation for building something like this that I've seen out there. Good, good work on you, Lee. He, always talked about it making it easy and he definitely definitely has so uh keep an eye on my instagram and my social media you'll see some build of that happening here very very soon probably going to start working on that this weekend uh pretty excited about it well let's jump into this week's episode speaking of projects let's jump into this week's episode and talk to brian height where we are going to discuss 3d printing and brewing 
I'd like to welcome Brian Height back to the show. Hey, Brian, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Excellent. I invited Brian back because he, in our last episode that he was on Homebrewing DIY, where we talked about yeast wrangling, he kind of teased that he was going to do some videos on some 3D printed stuff and projects that he was working on. And he has since released that. I've consumed that YouTube video and it was a really cool project. And I thought I would love to have Brian back on the show so that we could discuss a bit more in depth about this project specifically, but I also want to talk about 3D printing in general for brewing. So, Brian, you ready to talk about all things 3D printing today? Always. <laughs> I, I love it. You, you Every time I'm like, hey, let's talk about something geeky, you're like, I'm down. <laughs> yep, that's me in a nutshell right there. It's <laughs> awesome. So, let, let's talk a bit about what's going on in your brewery these days. Uh, last time we had talked... You had a lot of sours going on, and what what kind of things are you brewing for the summer, and how's COVID treating you? Yeah, so I think like a lot of people, COVID uh, changed life quite a bit, so I found myself um, drinking a little bit more, so I kind of shifted my my brewing more towards lower alcohol beers over the summer, Um, did some, you know, Scottish style, uh, 70 shillings, and some uh, light lagers and things like that. Um, but I've kept my sour program going, so I still have a couple Soleras running. I have uh, actually a, a fun little wild yeast project going on right now um, where I'm making a mead using entirely, um, what would you call it, foraged uh, ingredients. So it's it's being flavored with some wild berries, and the yeasts are all from uh, the berries and from uh, the honey itself. Um, and uh, other than that, just sort of your standard brewing, yacht IPA here and there, and uh, a couple sours, quick sours. You did a project specifically to do with 3D printing that had to do with purging a keg, and you made an entire YouTube video about it. Why, why don't you give us a bit of background of what you were trying to solve with this particular 3D printing project? Yeah, so the problem I was trying to solve, I think, is something many of us worry about which is how do you keep your beer sort of free of oxygen when you package and you know a lot of people will do things like fill a a keg with water and then push the water out with co2 and stuff like that but uh, I tend to be a little on the cheap side so I don't like wasting gas like that Uh, and also that usually involves a little bit more planning on kegging than I, I often will put into it and so what I was looking for was a way to capture the carbon dioxide from my fermentation and basically have that purge the keg for me uh, and, you know, this isn't a, a new idea. Lots of people have, have come up with different systems for doing this. And over the years, I've tried to jury rig, you know, half a dozen different things. And nothing ever really seemed to work that well. Uh, I either couldn't get a good seal at some part in the system or parts would break or, you know, you couldn't get things to match up the way you wanted. And so at my work, we've been using 3D printing quite a bit. And so I thought, well, maybe this would be a simple solution for that. And so I really created, it was essentially one part that allowed it, uh, allowed you to very easily connect a bung in a, a carboy uh, in a way that you would basically have a blow off uh, with a collection jar. So anything that, that came over uh, would be collected, but then you could then gather the gas from the collection jar and pass that into your keg. And for your sort of average 5% alcohol beer, you actually make during the ferment about 20 volumes of CO2 
relative to the volume of liquid. So if you think about what that means, that means if you put that through your keg, you've pumped 20 times more the volume of the keg of CO2 through it, which should purge it completely of, of any residual oxygen. Uh, and, you know, I've used it on almost every brew since I've made it, and I've not had any uh, oxidation flavors that I've noticed in the beers. And especially on my hoppy beers, the hop character really seems to last a lot longer. So it seems like it works really well. And at least at a very basic level, the kegs that I purge with it seem to be at least very low oxygen because I've tried things like um, taking a candle and, and lowering it into the keg. And as soon as it hits sort of the top of the, the neck of the keg, the candle just goes right out. So probably a good sign that there's not much oxygen in there. <laughs> yeah, and one of the things you talk about in the video is specifically how the method that you've created here actually purges a keg really, really well. Like less than 1% in the area is uh, oxygen, right? At least according to the math, right? Like worst case scenario, you would be at, I think, yeah, like 0.5% oxygen. And that would that's assuming that all of the gas that your ferment produces mixes evenly in the keg and that there's no layering effects or anything like that. And while it isn't easy to layer gases, there probably is a bit of a layering effect, and you probably have even lower oxygen levels than that. And sorry, I misspoke there. It's 1% oxygen would be the absolute worst case scenario uh, for that, and you would have even lower oxygen if it worked uh, with some, some degree of layering, for example. Yeah, and, and we've seen all different types of contraptions out there, from mylar balloons that people are using to, like, keep it at a low oxygen for suck back when people cold crash. I've seen contraptions where people are trying to basically try to get keg parts together to try to kind of link kegs together. What, what, what makes this particular solution so easy? And, and I guess the word is seamless. Yeah. So really it's, it's the ability to print things that exactly match up with what you're trying to do. So the setup that I have is on the surface very simple, but if you were to try to make it, you know, sort of by hand would be very hard to make. And so at the the carboy or you could, you know, any any fermenter that has a you know a six and a half, well any really any kind of a bung as the the output, you simply have a hose barb in that bug bung so you can hook it up to a piece of vinyl tubing, just standard siphon tubing. And that then runs down to a, a 3D printed um, lid for a mason jar. And what the lid has is it has a pass-through barb so that you can take that line coming from your fermenter and basically plug it into the top of the lid and have a, a shorter piece of line at the bottom that extends down into the mason jar. And so that's now sort of the blow-off part of the contraption. And then there's a second um, hose barb also 3D printed right into the lid that then allows you to draw the gas off the top and pass it down a standard um, beverage line uh, to the keg and you just use a standard keg connector at the keg and so really it was that 3D printed lid that allows that part of the, the component to work and then the other thing that I printed was essentially an angled hose barb which would then allow you to directly attach a um, airlock to a uh, gas in connector for your keg but that now acts as your vent so basically the the gas goes from the fermenter into the trap and then from the trap 
into the beverage line of the keg so it goes all the way down to the bottom of the keg and as the keg fills up with CO2 the air gets pushed out through an airlock attached to the gas in port of the keg. Ah, and then once it bubbles out there, the oxygen is released and all that's left in there is CO2, essentially. That's the idea. Awesome. And what what kind of effects does that... Do you, do you cold crash? Uh, is that something you do in your burning process? Uh, not really. I basically cold crash in the keg and just accept that the first glass or two is going to have a bit of yeast in it. Okay. But but you, you, ferment, you ferment in carboys and then purge the keg, right? Yeah, so I'm using the, the fermentation from the carboy to purge the keg, so when I then siphon the beer into the keg, it's free of oxygen. That's awesome. Yeah, uh, because, like, for example, one of the things that people are always trying to solve for is that when you're trying to cold crash, they're trying to reduce suck back into the carboy or whatever your fermenter is, right? And so if you have a situation where you you have and that's why i've seen the contraptions with like mylar balloons that fill up with co2 then people cold crash and then it sucks the co2 from the mylar balloon back in and then they don't worry about having to deal with oxygen being sucked into their their main fermenter uh but your system essentially makes it since you're not cold crashing essentially makes it so you can do an oxygen tree free transfer right into it and not really have issues with like splashing around into an oxygen environment right Exactly. And if you did want to do something like that mylar balloon trick, you could always wait till fermentation's almost complete and use, you know, sort of the first part to purge the keg and then you could unhook this sort of a system and put your mylar balloon on for the last little bit of fermentation just so you have enough gas to uh do your cold crash, right? They're they're not mutually exclusive. It just would be a little bit more work if you wanted to do both. Excellent. And there you go. It, problem solved in a in a 5-minute conversation. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so 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 let's talk a bit about I want to talk about 3D printing in general. You 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 said that for this particular project you did you 3D printed these parts, but in my kind of journey going through all of these different projects that have to do with the DIY portion of brewing, I keep running into 3D print this thing, 3D print this part. And so I'd love to talk to you a bit about if I were to want to get something 3D printed and I didn't own one, what would be the process for me to get something 3D printed? I mean, these days, uh, with the cost of intro printers, you probably could just get your own printer. But uh, there are a number of services and clubs and things like that where you can get stuff printed. I know um, in the uh, the lo- one of the local towns, the the public library there actually has a 3D printing service, so you can go in and use their printer for a small fee. There's maker spaces that do similar things, and there's even businesses whose uh, service provide the service. So you you send them the file of what you want printed, and they can print it off and then mail you the the final piece. So you know you can do it yourself quite easily, and and some of the intro printers are pretty good and and pretty reasonably priced. But then there's lots of other ways that you can get things printed if you don't want to have one of those uh, printers in your home. Yeah, and and then if I were to want to look at doing an intro printer, let's say I need more than one thing printed. I need uh, I'm generally a tinkerer, and I want to do 3D prints. It's pretty inexpensive to get into an introduction printer, correct? 
it is. Um, I mean, I would personally stay away from the super cheap ones. Uh, they seem to be more trouble than they're worth, unless you're really into tinkering and building and repairing machines. But there's a number of printers out there now that are in the 250 to $350 range that are very well built, very easy to use, very easy to maintain, and they have a very large community around them as well. So if you do run into trouble, uh, you know, the number of YouTube videos and forums and blog posts and, you know, articles and whatnot that you can go to for help is amazing. Uh, it's really fantastic. It's very much like the homebrewing community. Uh, you know, it's a very much uh, a community where people, you know, love to share um, their inventions and share the methods that they use and to help each other out. Uh, so it's it's easy to get into. It's, it's much uh, less daunting than you might expect. And what other things have you printed in your brewery? Obviously, we're talking about this keg purger, but you've printed other things in your brewery, right? Oh, yeah. I've, I mean, it's kind of like, uh, you know, the old saying, when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Well, when you have a 3D printer, everything <laughs> looks like a uh, 3D printed solution. Um, so, you know, it's funny, like some of the simplest little problems that we don't even think of have good solutions to them. Uh, you know, I'm sure we've all experienced trying to clean a, a keg line and having to push down that stupid pin inside of the, the disconnect, right? Um, I printed a little thing that, you know, fits nicely inside of the the diameter of those cake connects and it gives you a big surface to push on with your finger so you're not trying to jab that tiny little post and it makes it so much easier. And that was, you know, a design I found online. It took maybe 10 minutes to print and it cost about three cents of plastic, but it was worth every penny and, and the little bit of time it took to print it. Uh, I've got, um, oh, must be a dozen of them printed now. These little clips that basically... Um, clip onto the neck of a carboy and hold the bung in place. So you never have that experience of you know coming down to find that the bung fell out in the middle of the night because it it lost its seal. Um, I've printed uh, so I have a miniature siphon that I use for when I do one gallon batches of mead or, or experimental beers, and um, I always used to have a problem because all the siphon was was basically a, a length of stainless steel narrow diameter stainless steel tubing. Uh, with a, a piece of uh, vinyl tubing shoved on the end, and it always used to kink at the top. Uh, and of course, it didn't have that little cup at the bottom like most siphons have, so you for uh, keeping you from sucking up the trub. And so I basically printed a little cup that fits onto the little pipe, and I 3D printed a curved uh, neck with a proper hose barb on the end of it that fits onto the top other end of the pipe. And now it's actually a, a full siphon. Uh, instead of just a, a metal tube with some tubing jabbed on it. Um, oh, there's so many other things. I mean, I've printed tap handles. I've printed um, a clip that helps to hold the um, cooling the cooling line, the garden hose that goes into my uh, wort chiller from uh, so it doesn't kink when when I'm trying to chill beer. Um, little clips here and there for everything. I'm starting to work on electric brewery, so I've been designing and test printing uh, some enclosures and, and enclosure parts for that. Uh, I mean, the list goes on and on. I, I can't think of everything offhand because I just I use it so much now that you sort of lose track of some of the some of the various things that you make. Well, and and one of the cost savings is that if you can print a lot of the parts that you need, you're not running down to specialty shops to find these parts, right? Oh, uh, definitely. Or you know, mail order fees, but even. Um, 
you know, even for more complex parts or even very simple parts, uh, the the cost of filament for printing is so inexpensive. If if you're working with a certain type of filament, that is, um, but it's you know what you would use 95% of the time, that you'd be hard pressed to find an identical product in the store for the same or better price. So you can even save a bit of well, printer cost aside, you can even save a bit of money on a lot of these items. Yeah, and and printer let's talk a bit about printer cost and if i were to be looking for a 3d printer for similar projects that you're doing what would you say are the features that i would look for or you would look for in a 3d printer before you pulled the trigger yeah so that's uh that's a big question um and i think the first thing you need to think of is what do you really want to print because there's two major sort of printing technologies there's what's called uh, FDM printing, which is where you have a, a thin plastic filament that basically is heated so it melts and then extruded through a little nozzle and you basically build up layers of plastic and that's how you do the printing. And then there's a second technology called SLA where you have a resin that has a, a photosensitive uh, hardener in it and you basically project an image onto your print plate to build up layer by layer uh, this polymerized resin and they each have advantages and disadvantages um, resin printers have very high resolution so if you're looking to make really finely detailed things that is probably the technology you want but for in the brew house it's probably not the technology that you want um, one is it's not very good for breaking big parts there's very few of them out there for an affordable price that can print anything much larger than a, a gaming miniature. Uh, they're not as strong, the materials, generally speaking. Uh, and especially if you're thinking of making stuff that's going to actually contact your beer, there doesn't seem to be any food-safe um, polymers available for those yet. On the FDM side, most of those issues have been dealt with, but then the, the cost to them, or the the downside to them is their resolution isn't quite as nice. So you, if you look at an FDM print, you can usually visually see little layers, and each layer is one of those layers of plastics that's been laid down, and you, you don't get that with the SLA printing. But there's a lot of advantages on the FDM side because you get stronger prints, or you can get materials that will give you stronger prints. Um, you can print fairly large objects um, using an entry-level printer. Um, a lot more support because they're they're more common out uh, of a tool, and then when it comes to picking an FDM printer, um, really, there's I hesitate to recommend a specific printer, but really there's one printer out there that sort of rules the roost for sort of entry level consumer printers, and that's the uh, Creality, which is the brand uh, line of printers, and they have one called the Ender Three, which is probably the most popular one. And one of the reasons why it's popular is it's not very expensive, but it's also very well built and very easy to use. So a lot of people sort of gravitated to that. And there's a lot of companies that are making clones that are very similar that might be a little bit, you know, better or, or have some features you might find more attractive. But I would look for something like the Ender 3 or a similar type model if you were thinking of getting into it because they're, again, well built. They can print many of the materials materials you might be interested in printing and the price isn't too crazy yeah and 
you were talking a bit about different types of filament, food grade versus non-food grade. Uh, I There's also heat resistant versus less heat resistant, right? Well, if you were picking types of filament, where do you, what types of filament are there and how do you make those choices? Yeah, so, I mean, there's more types of filament out there than you can shake a stick at and there seems to be new ones every other week. But really when you get down to it, there's three or four materials that are used for 95% of the printing out there. So the first is... Um, PLA, which is polylactic acid. So this is a uh, plastic actually made from corn. It's the most common. Uh, most of the things you see people doing are almost always printed with PLA. It's very easy to print with. It's very forgiving. It's a pretty strong material, but unfortunately it is brittle. And what I mean by that is it has a fair amount of strength, but once you exceed that strength, it just breaks. Uh, so there, it doesn't, it won't sort of bend and warp like a piece of metal wood, for example. Uh, the oh, other downside the to cast, it is... Like the sorry? difference between cast... I was going to say, that, that's like the difference between cast iron and steel, right? Yeah, exactly, right? You take a, a piece of cast iron and bend it too much, it just snaps. Uh, same idea with this. Um, and the other downside to it is somewhere around 60 Celsius, and, and sorry, I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit, uh, it starts to become soft and will start to deform. Um, so... You know, it's it's great for a lot of applications. Um, you know, anything I I almost everything that I've printed for my brewery actually has been in PLA. Uh, it's available in food grade materials. It's available in lower grade materials, dirt cheap. So if you just you know want some filament for running test prints of things that you don't necessarily want to spend you know better money on or better filament on, you know it's a great thing for that as well. But again, like 95% of the prints you see out there are probably in PLA and they're perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with them at all. Uh, the next material, um, which is also kind of dying, is ABS. So just like the ABS pipe in your house. Um, and that was the original material for 3D printers. It is a lot harder to print with. Um, it has to be printed at higher temperatures. It has a tendency to warp. Uh, it gives off horrible fumes while it prints. So those are why people are starting to move away from it, but there's still some people who use it because it's one of the strongest materials uh, once it's been printed that that most uh, household printers will be able to print. It's got fairly good flexibility, and if you're going to have something outside, something exposed to the sun uh, for long periods of time, it's one of the best ones for that. It has very good sort of photo stability. So for making things that are durable, and maybe exposed to the sun, it's it's one of the materials to try, but it is much harder to print with than something like PLA, and it can't be done in a food-safe manner. So it would only be for you know things that won't touch um, your beer. Uh, and then sort of the filament that's replacing that one is called PETG, and I don't for the life of me remember what that stands for, but uh, it's got very similar properties. Um, but it's much easier to print with. So it doesn't have the warping issues like ABS does. Um, ABS is also notorious for falling off of the printer plate halfway through the print. Uh, and PETG actually has the opposite problem. It's getting it off sometimes can be a challenge when the print is done. Um, but it's also very strong. It's got decent flexibility. Um, uh, 
it's uh, pretty good outside if, if you're printing stuff for outside. So for for my uses, I actually, anything I, I make where I'm expecting something to be under any kind of tension, I like to use PETG. So for example, those carboy clips I've mentioned, uh, I've printed a lot out of PLA, and after a few months they quite often fail because there's a, they're, they're constantly putting pressure on the, the bung to hold it into the carboy, and over time that does cause the, the PLA to give way, and the, the PETG ones just seem to last forever. And um, so those are probably the three most commonly used materials. And then there's a lot of sort of specialty materials for other applications. Um, things like flexible filaments if you want something that's sort of rubbery. Uh, if you have a higher end printer, you can print in things like polycarbonate or nylon, which are really the only materials out there that you can get that are food safe that you could also expose to boiling temperatures without them warping. Uh, PETG or ABS won't survive boiling temperatures. They start to soften around 80 degrees Celsius. So I, I think that's about uh, 170 Fahrenheit. So, yep. you know, but you need a, a special, I shouldn't say you need a special printer, but you, if you had something like the Ender 3, you would have to upgrade the hot end because the way the Ender 3's hot end is designed, you can't print something like nylon. Um, just the temperatures are too high and it would destroy the the head that comes with it um, and if you have slightly higher end printers they'll have what's called an all metal hot end and they can print things like nylon and PC um, polycarbonate sorry but it, there's um, a lot of difficulties with those printing those materials so a lot of people don't uh, deal with them so one one issue with a lot of filaments actually is they tend to pick up moisture from the air uh, and that can lead to anything from slightly unattractive finishes on parts to things like nylon and PC basically the the filament almost explodes in the, the hot end as you print because it the moisture sort of flash uh, boils uh, as it's printing um, and as you can imagine that causes a lot of problems with the prints but uh, you know if if you're looking for something to be contacting liquid on the hot side you have to be looking at something like nylon or polycarbonate because none of the other materials would really stand up to that so basically, if I were to do something like try to 3D print a spoon that I was going to stir my hot wort with, you would only want to use those two types of... Uh, I wouldn't want to use the traditional types of plastics because they would not hold up at all, right? Exactly. Yeah, they would uh, melt pretty quickly. Or they wouldn't completely melt, but they would soften and, and deform pretty much instantly as soon as they hit the hot wort. Exactly. And it, what other types of... So when we talk about food safe, is it food safe because of plastic leaching? Is it food safe because of temperature? Do you, do you know what makes a piece of plastic food safe versus uh, it doesn't? Uh, yeah, so the food safe comes down to a couple of things. One is that the base plastic has to be something that's considered non-toxic. Uh, so right away that, that actually limits the number of plastics you can get in food safe forms to basically the PLA, the PETG, nylon, and polycarbonate. Um, basically all of the other plastics that are used have um, plasticizers or things like them that added to them that have to be there for the plastic to work but would be toxic if you consume them. But it's more than just that. Um, the quality of the feedstock that they use has to be up to a certain grade. So, you know, in the U.S. it's regulated by the FDA. Uh, and other countries, you know, regulated in, in a similar fashion. So it's not enough for it to simply be the right plastic. It also has to be of a, a sufficiently high quality 
And then the last part is the pigments that they put in the plastic. Because, of course, most of these plastics are sort of a whitey-gray color uh, unless you do something to give them color. And not all pigments are safe to put in food, so they have to incorporate a food-safe pigment as well. And then, I don't know if this is true for all countries, but certainly the filaments coming out of the U.S. also have to be traceable, meaning that um, that food-grade filament, in addition to being manufactured in a way that follows all of those rules, also has lot and other tracking information so that you can track back to the specific production run that came from. So that's another element of the, the food safe thing. So there's a lot of technical things that have to be met for something to be food safe and then there also is regulatory stuff uh, that has to take place as well uh, for it to have that food safe certification. Which makes a lot of sense considering you know when you have a big foodborne illness outbreak or foreign objects they are able to trace it back to if if they're using 3d printed parts and things like food production right exactly uh, you know they need to be able to track back if something is wrong with that batch and be able to find out where it went and who it was sold to so yeah tracking is a big part of it and if i were to want to look on if i were to want to track down one of these 3d printers is it just a specific website for that brand do you know because i know like for example and this is totally not where i would buy one but like when you look at like mono price and things like that they're pretty inexpensive but to me it's i've always not bit the bullet on one of those because i'm always afraid of the quality would you say that with 3d printers it's definitely you get what you pay for uh, it definitely is you get what you pay for. Uh, in terms of where to look, um, you can look in different places. Amazon carries a lot of them. Most of the major companies have their own storefronts, and usually the prices there are the same as you would find on Amazon. Um, and, uh, you know, you can actually buy a lot of these because they're all, they're all made in, in China, so a lot of times they're actually available on things like AliExpress or Wish. And again, it's it's the same unit you would get if you bought it direct from the company or, or off of Amazon. It's just a, yet another supplier. Um, you know, the main thing to look for is, or the main thing to look for, the main thing I would uh, recommend is, you know, do a bit of homework, figure out sort of what specific model it is that you want that sort of meets the features you have and, and the price you're willing to pay, and then look around to see where you get the best price. Because, you know, if again, if you buy like that, the um, Ender 3, like I was talking about earlier, it's the same whoever you buy it from, right? It doesn't really matter what company sells it to you. Uh, yeah. It's the, uh, so the price is more set by the, the seller, I guess, at that point. And, and pretty much at that point, you, you want to have a space for it, right? You, you don't want to try, like a 3D printer isn't just going to fit on your desk next to your computer. You're going to want to have space for it, right? No, mine sits next to the computer. <laughs> oh, uh, th- I mean the I, size varies, right? You can you can buy teeny tiny ones. There's huge ones, um, but you know most of them. Again, I don't know what this would be in in U.S. units. I'm gonna guess you would need an area um, about two foot wide and and three foot deep, roughly. Okay. Um, yeah. For most of the units, it's not a huge a huge space uh, that's needed. Yeah, I. It, the last uh, 3D printer I had experience with was a few years ago, and it, it you would have needed a printer cart to set it on. It was pretty big. Yeah, and, and then certainly those still exist. Um, there's some 
printers that they're they're large format printers so they're for printing big things right and they do take up more yep. space but most of these hobby size ones again i sorry i don't know the 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 imperial units but the print surface are typically 20 to 25 centimeters and they're they're square so the 25 centimeters to a side which is just shy of a foot and then you have um obviously a little bit of mechanics front and back and left to right that make it a little bit bigger than that but yeah if you had you know a two foot by two foot area or two foot by three foot something like that most of these sort of home orientated printers at least the the smallest sized ones would fit into the into that size of space with no issue and that's going to fulfill most of the brewing applications that you have right oh yeah um you know the number of prints i've had that kind of even push the size of the build plate on my printer are very few and far between. Um, you know, obviously people who do different things with their printers might might push that build space more. But you know, if you're thinking mostly of brewing items, I mean, probably the largest thing you're going to print would be an enclosure for some electronics or something. And it's unlikely you're going to need something that's you know much more than than um, you know eight nine inches by eight nine inches in size. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And and if you were designing something, right? For example, you you said you've designed a few of these parts or you found parts. Where do you a if you if you want to look for designs that people have made, is there a website to look for those? So there's quite a few. Um, the best one is called Thingiverse. I shouldn't say the best one. The largest one is Thingiverse. Uh, it's been around for a very long time. There's a huge number of models on it, um, and there. Are, generally speaking available in a format that's sort of universal so you can you print them on almost any printer you want uh, there are other sites out there some of them are a little more specialized uh, so there's a lot of people that will print you know 3d figurines for gaming and stuff like that and so there's a place called my mini factory that and that's sort of what they specialize in uh, the particular brand of printer that I have which is a, a Prusa printer they've started their own um, sort of Thingiverse competitor and, and they're starting to get some pretty good content over there and uh, there's also places where almost everything is paid for but one of the nice things with those is if you know sort of 3d modeling is something you don't want to dive into or maybe you need something done that's a bit beyond your skills you can often for a relatively low uh, fee uh, contract on one of these sites for someone to design it for you and let's talk about that design process uh, you you basically have to get a 3D modeler to create the part that you want to do if you want to do something from scratch. What, what type of software would you need for that? So there's a lot of different uh, software packages you can use. The easiest one is something called Tinkercad. It's a free web-based uh, design service. Um, it's actually one that I've used quite extensively for very basic designs it's ideal because it's all about you know you you can build things very easily that are square or circular and punch holes and stuff like that in them um, what it's not good for is if you want something with a more complex shape uh, because it doesn't really have the tools for for making you know complex curves and things like that there are a number of software packages out there um, Autodesk CAD um, uh, I'm I just forgot. There's three or four of them out there that quite a few people use, and um, you know some of them have free versions for home use or rel or uh, relatively inexpensive 
uh, versions as well as obviously more advanced professional level versions. Uh, the learning curve on them is pretty steep but again you know it's a good community there's a lot of YouTube videos that can help walk you through a lot of the those different uh, software packages and people can even take 3D modeling software that's not for CAD purposes but for other purposes um, so some people might be familiar with Blender which is a, a free and open source 3D modeling program that's actually orientated at people doing animation and game design but a lot of people model in that and you can export that in a format for a 3D printer and then slice it and print it yeah and, and I know that Blender is a very, very capable software when it comes to 3D modeling. It's very, yeah, it's very it powerful. Very if you're familiar with Blender, it would be very easy to take your designs and start exporting them uh, for 3D printing. But if you've never done any design at all, I'd recommend Tinkercad um, because if if you can kind of you know conceive of how to put a box in a circle together to make a shape that you want, and you know where to punch a hole to make something fit or, or something like that, uh, Tinkercad will be very sort of intuitive and easy for you to to begin using and it's free which is a nice price always nice when they're when you have a good free tool like that well brian i want to thank you for taking the time to come and talk to everyone about 3d printing if i if i wanted to find out more about some of your projects obviously you you talk about yeast wrangling microscopes 3d printing you you have quite the blog where where would i find that so that's at suigeneris.com. So that's S-U-I-G-E-N-E-R-I-S uh, brewing.com. Um, I also have a YouTube channel, which is under the same name. So youtube.com slash suigeneris.brewing. And um, I'm on Twitter under suigeneris.brew as well. And just so you know, if you're listening to the show, just look in the show notes and I'll have links to all of those sites and Brian's Twitter account as well. And Brian, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking to us about all of this. And hey, uh, next time you want to geek out on something, we'd love to have you back. So uh, always, always a pleasure. And I'd love to come back. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thank you, Brian. Have a good night. I want to thank Brian for taking the time to come on this week's show. As always, Brian is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to all things geeky and brewing, so always a good time. You can always find us on social media. You can head over to Homebrewing DIY, all one word. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just follow us there, and like I said, I've got some pretty interesting things going on on my social. I also just signed up for TikTok, and that is also homebrewing DIY, all one word. Well, that's it for this week. That's it. We'll, we'll talk to you next week on homebrewing DIY. Mm-hmm.